One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, week four, how did uh, how did we fare in week three? Why don't you start, Jess? I don't have much good to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same as every week for me. Like the main slate, I'm losing money. And then on the afternoon slates and the showdown slates, I'm winning it back. So I'm pretty much just kind of bumping even for the past few weeks. Are you uh, yeah. are you going to adjust bankroll at all for that? Like, are you going to maybe shift waiting to the later slates or no? Maybe I'll probably do less on the main slate and maybe start adding more to the to the later slates but yeah i'm still figuring that out <laughs> yeah yeah lex i i had a lot of good on like the the buffalo side with like actually i liked sanders a lot last week i, I liked the uh rams passing attack like we talked about last week on here but really just that falcons giants game that screwed me and pretty much all the rosters that i had same with um even robert woods too i was just hoping that would be the week that you, and he just didn't it was the other guys still so just stuff like that like that that falcons game was just killer arthur smith is killing me right now man he's just killing me oh brutal yeah i i know i kind of like threw it out to you guys last week i was like is it viable to go mike davis (laughs) kellen ridley and kyle pitts and i did it and oh man (laughs) did that suck uh (laughs) it hurt but um Yeah, I think the the Buffalo game is interesting too. I ended up I had like one small lineup with Allen, uh, Gibson, and Diggs. So I was just super frustrated because I played Sanders the first two weeks. I was like so bullish on him and knew that it was only a matter of time before he had a good game. So you know, it's, it's how the cookie crumbles with DFS. It's yeah, like you're sure. sometimes you just keep missing. <laughs> um, which, by the way, real quick. I just want to mention that I talked a little bit about this in the community stage today. This is something that I'm going to be doing every Wednesday. So if you guys want to tune into that, that's going to be it's really just a community space for us to reflect on uh, our lineups. I'll run through mine, but then it'll be open for discussion. And it's been really fun to do that the past uh, couple of weeks. So uh, definitely hit that up if you guys are wanting to sharpen your roster process uh, through reflection and assessment. So, but today we are, we've got three games as usual, and they are Carolina at Dallas, Cleveland at Minnesota and Tennessee at New York jets. So before we dive into these, I just kind of wanted to mention that, you know, I've prefaced each of these, like the, the way that we're going to be talking about these. And we're, we're getting to the point in the NFL season where we've got a little bit of a data set to work with. And so our, the field and our opponents are going to be thinking that we, we know some things now and that we've got some certainty. And while some of that may be true, there are still things that we don't know. There are still things that are going to be a bit of a surprise. And so 
the the goal here is to so that we ourselves do not fall victim to that. So let's continue to stay vigilant about reminding ourselves that there is a lot we don't know. And yeah, part of this pod is to stay curious and dig into some of these things to see if we can uncover that. With all that out of the way, let's dive into Carolina at Dallas. So the Panthers have come out of the gates hot here and are looking hashtag good. That said, they have yet to play a notable opponent because uh, even New Orleans was hurting in a big way when they played, which we talked about on this pod. The question is really, are they going to have what it takes to play with the Cowboys in Dallas without CMC? What are we looking at here? Let's start with uh, let's start with the Carolina offense versus this defense. So obviously CMC being out is a huge impact, huge blow to this team. Darnold has looked pretty good so far. Uh, Lex, I'll throw it over to you first to just kind of start off there. Yeah, I like the Panthers offense in this game. I think losing CMC is obviously a big deal, not just because of, you know, his position at in the running game, but really in the receiving game. I mean, Dan Quinn has kind of turned this Cowboys defense into the same way that we attacked Atlanta defenses for years in terms of, you know, running backs through the air. So losing CMC is a big, you know, deal in that regard just because Hubbard might be able to catch a few balls, but he's not going to be schemed looks, you know, like they're not going to be trying to force it into his hands the same way they would McCaffrey. Um, but I still like the spot. I think uh, more and uh, Trevon Diggs is the interesting matchup that might open it up for some of the other guys. Um, and more is obviously talented enough to beat that matchup. Um, it's just going to be one of those probably good back and forth cornerback with receiver matchups. Um, but I do think that they can keep pace. I think Dallas's defense has definitely improved. Like they look much better. They have a little bit more talent with Micah Parsons playing so well to start the year. Um, but I, I still think they have some significant weak spots, especially through the air. So I, I like the Panthers chances of at least keeping it close. Yeah. With, with that, uh, do we think that, cause you mentioned like CMC's role through the air as a pass catcher being schemed looks specifically, are either of these running backs viable? Are we get, so we got Royce Freeman, right. Backing him up or, or playing in a, a secondary role. Uh, are either of them viable and, or are we going to look at the receivers as getting boosted uh, targets? Jess, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, well, I think it's going to go all the way around. So the loss of CMC means less work going to that one concentrated spot, probably going to spread out to a few other places. Um, Hubbard's going to get pretty much most of any receiving work, maybe not most of what CMC would have got, like Lex is saying, he's not going to get schemed looks, but he'll get the, the passing down work. Um, kind of pulling the lens back on this one a little bit too. And just the whole game environment is interesting to me. You've got the time of possession pace an opponent plays against indicate there's going to be a reduced amount of offensive plays from both teams. Uh, they're both averaging about 67 per game and the matchup is showing. Okay. So they themselves, the offenses are averaging 67 plays a game and the defenses are allowing 58 and 46. So this one can slow down there. Um, 
Also, we've got Carolina with the extra four days of rest and prep for this game. And then one interesting stat I dug up is Dallas has benefited from the most penalties in the league. They're playing against teams that are shooting themselves in the foot and Carolina's the sixth least penalized team. So I think this has a really good chance to kind of be a little bit of a grinder of a game and just everybody kind of gets involved in this one. Um, Definitely Hubbard. And then, yeah, DJ Moore, if he can beat that Trayvon Diggs matchup, and Darnold are kind of looking pretty good as far as the Carolina offense goes. And then I don't know, like Robbie Anderson's still running, running lots of routes out there at some point, he's going to see the ball. So there's, there's definitely some stuff on the the Carolina side. That's, that's interesting to me. Oh, and uh, Dallas has the second lowest adjusted sack rate on the schedule. And that basically between Dallas's adjusted sack rate and Carolina's adjusted sack rate. Darnold has the second best net ASR for the week. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of things kind of working in Carolina's favor where they could probably run their offense and not have to get into that catch up mode that Dallas tends to put you into and makes you forces you to throw a lot. They'll probably be able to run what they want to run. Yeah. Just expanding on everything Jess is saying, I think this is the, the Carolina Panthers offense hasn't really been pushed to score a ton of points either, just because of how their defense has been playing and the offenses that they've faced on the other side. So I think Dallas's capabilities on that side of the ball is going to push the Panthers into probably more passing volume. I think McCaffrey being out probably also pushes them to more pass volume. Um, Robbie Anderson has the, I think third highest average intended air yards in the entire NFL. So even though he hasn't had a ton of targets lately, we know he's still a threat to hit deep on, you know, any play. Uh, Terrace Marshall will probably eat up some of that shorter area work that you lose with McCaffrey. Um, what else? I mean, Dallas, I think Hubbard is honestly in a pretty good spot. I still don't think Dallas is, you know, very strong. It's running backs. Um, he did, he dropped the touchdown last week. You know, he could have had even a nicer score and relief of McCaffrey there. I don't really know, obviously at this point, how much work Royce Freeman's going to get as part of that backfield. Uh, he had five attempts to Hubbard's 11 in that game. It, it stands to reason like that Hubbard is probably going to be the one that dominates it. It just not quite as um, in a distinguished way at McCaffrey did, but I think I like everything was just saying, I just, I really like this environment. The possession is concerning. Like if Dallas is able to control the, the game on the ground with, you know, Zeke on that side of the ball, then that might lead to less possession time for Carolina. But I think ultimately just them being able to score more than Pan- the Panthers previous opponents is going to kind of help this game environment overall. Yeah, definitely. The The thing I was curious about, too, with the receiving options, like you guys both threw out some good stats there about DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Uh, one of the things, like DJ Moore is the, the clear number one. Lex, you provided the, the targets there. The one interesting thing is that even though he's getting these targets, he, hadn't, he hasn't really done a ton with that. And I guess for me a little bit interested in Terrace Marshall just to see if maybe he soaks up a little bit of that extra work. And if he provides you a cheap kind of overlooked exposure to this game environment, uh, he's somebody who's interesting as a, a piece for me, just, you know, if I were looking to get some exposure here with that, let's flip to the other side of the ball here. Carolina defense has looked legitimately good so far. They are Lex. <laughs> this kind of surprised me uh, ranking first in both rush and pass DVOA. 
and leading the league in QB pressures, if I read those correctly. So that's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, they've looked really good so far. I mean, you can take some of that, you know, with a grain of salt, just based on who they faced and like Davis Mills, a disjointed Saints offense and the Wilson, Zach Wilson's first start. But it's it's impressive regardless. You can only play who's in front of you. But I mean, I wouldn't expect that to continue that way all year, obviously. I mean, this is easily the toughest matchup they've had yet. Yeah, and just want to throw in there too, obviously we noted the loss of cornerback J.C. Horn. Uh, Jess, thoughts on Carolina defense and it, how they're going to fare in this spot? Well, they lost Horn and their starting safety, Justin Burris. So the secondary just lost two starters from last week, um, which will be interesting to see how Dallas decides to attack them. Carolina hasn't allowed more than 48 rushing yards yet. You got Zeke coming off of heavy usage in a short week. So I don't know how heavy they're going to rely on him. I mean, they're going to, if they can, but it might, might see Pollard coming into the game a little bit more. And the interesting stat I found as far as the running game goes is Carolina has the lowest net adjusted line yards at 2.44 per attempt. And Dallas has the number one on offense for 5.21. So you've got a nice strength versus strength matchup going on there. Uh, Carolina is good at covering running backs because they have to cover CMC in practice. I mean, they, they see schemed running back targets and they see the best receiving running back in the game. So I think they'll do fine as far as like stopping the running backs from passing, but that, that rushing matchup is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah. If I could add to that too. So I think what Kellen Moore has shown so far too, as a coordinator this year is them being pretty adaptable. You know, they, they had a really high pass attempt, rate versus Tampa, who you can't really run against. And then two games where they were able to control the game on the ground with Zeke and Pollard, they Dak only threw, I think it was 27 and 26 times. So if they find that this Panthers run defense is not the way they want to attack, I think Derek Brown up in the middle there has made it a pretty significant leap for Carolina over the last two years. Um, then with those secondary guys going down, I think that they might find that the pass defense is the easier place to attack. You've obviously got talented guys in Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and those tight ends. So I really think that this is a week Dallas might throw a bit more than we've seen the last two weeks, not maybe to the level that they did against Tampa, where you really can't run at all. And they were, you know, you're dealing with a lead offense on the other side, but I, I really like the spot for a bump in pass ball for Dallas. And I think Lamb and Cooper both are, should get more targets than they've got the last couple of games where they've basically, you know, done nothing against the chargers and uh, Philly. Right. And then really, interesting notes on the coaching piece. You know, this is one of those things that JM talks about in terms of like in, in NFL DFS, it's an edge to know the coaches where most players, the, you know, the field, even content providers won't go that far to do that. But I, I was actually thinking along the same lines because I was, as I was looking through the box scores in your notes, Lex, uh, Kind of crazy to see that Dak hadn't even attempted 30 passes in either of the past two games and Cooper and Lamb combined for target totals of 14 and seven. But I, I do think, you know, because I watched that first game too, and you could just tell he had no desire to run. They were, you know, full bore into the pass game. And so that really sticks out as, as something that, uh, yeah, looks like he's going to be adaptable. So I would kind of, I feel like they will see an uptick in, in passing game usage as well. Jess. Yeah, I agree with that. They're going to, 
they're going to have a hard time running. So they'll probably pass and spot, you know, down those two starters. Um, my concern is Coop is Cooper even okay. Like is, is the reduction in targets because he's kind of out there playing decoy cause they need him to, cause they're down Gallup or is, I mean, he's a tough guy. He's playing through injuries, but I don't know how well he is. So if I'm looking at the Dallas passing attack, I'm kind of leaning towards CD lamb. Um, but then Carolina, like, their defense has been good against everybody, but they haven't faced a good tight end yet. And then you had Dalton Schultz's game last week. So he's kind of ascending. It's, it's possibility that he kind of steps into another big role here. And then if they do go through the tight end, are, are they going to go with both of them? And then is Schultz and Jarwin going to cap each other's ceiling? So I don't know, just it, it's, this is one of the more interesting games on the slate from a pure football perspective. And I'm really looking forward to it in there the plays in it for as far as DFS are going to be interesting too. Yeah. I mean, they already allowed Corey Davis and Brandon cooks to have really nice games. And that was before losing horn and Burris and stuff. So now they're dealing with even, you know, potentially weaker secondary. And I think the way I'll think about lamb and Cooper is lamb, I think is in the better spot. He's the guy I would trust more, but if you, depending on, you know, the disparity in ownership between the two, like maybe that pushes you more toward Cooper later in the week, but the injury is definitely concerning. You know, any, that has to do with ribs, you know, a lot of times there's pain tolerance. And it's like I said, maybe he's just out there because he's able to run the routes, but they don't necessarily want him, you know, to force feed him the ball, you know, while he's dealing with that injury. So either way, I like the spot for the passing game, kind of everything that we talked about. And the running game is interesting too. I don't know, Ben, you probably have something to lead us into that, but the passing game sets up really nice. And especially when we got, we expect kind of like the way we started this conversation with Carolina's offense on the other side as well. Yeah. Well, with that, why don't we just finish off talking about that? I think what Jess mentioned was kind of interesting in terms of uh, short rest week and the, yeah, just like the split they're <clears throat> already seeing plus the defensive matchup. I don't know. I, for me, I feel like I'm staying away from the the run game here, but is that a mistake? Is there something to look at? Well, I thought staying away from Zeke against Philadelphia's defensive line was the way to go. And <laughs> that was the showdown slate. I didn't win any money on. <laughs> I went heavy on uh, the, the passing attack for, for Dallas and Philly, but yeah, uh, that, that workload for Zeke last week at his age, I don't know how fresh he's going to be this week though. If he's ready, they're going to ride him. They're going to try. Um, and then t- I think Tony Pollard is probably going to be, he's going to have the fresh legs. So he'll probably be heavily involved in the game plan too, especially if they're trying to tack around on the outsides and stuff and get out from the middle of the field where Thompson and Derek Brown and Jeremy Chen are roaming. Yeah. I worry a little bit about his volume. Um, I think that the best thing for Zeke is that he's still going to get touches around the goal line. So you still have a pretty high touchdown equity, but you don't want him to become too much like Chris Carson, where you're only getting, 16, 17 attempts, and then hoping he gets in the end zone. Otherwise you're drawing dead. So Pollard getting as much usage as he has, is a bit concerning just for kind of playing either of them, just because they're kind of monopolizing each other. Uh, so I, I don't know, I, I might stay away from that, but at the same time, you know, Dallas Zeke is a home favorite running back in a spot. That's probably a little, you know, overrated in terms of toughness, just based on who they've faced so far. Um, but I'm still probably looking more toward the passing game than the running game just because of that, you know, having the two of them kind of taking work away from each other. All right. 
Jess, what's up? We got one more thing here. Yeah. Uh, Sam Darnold. I don't know that we really talked about him that much. They're scheming him looks like he's getting carries inside the 10 yard line. And especially with CMC out, that might spike a little bit. Um, I don't know what the trust level is with Hubbard yet, but it's, it's probably going to be Freeman at, at the goal line down there. And if not, then the, I mean, he's got, Darnold's got four carries inside the 10 yard line. Only Josh Allen has more. So he's, he's got some touchdown equity on the ground too. And I actually really like the pieces on Carolina and using Dallas more as a bring back. So stack with Carolina and bring back Dallas in this one. Yeah. Isn't he like tied for the league lead in rushing touchdowns right now? I think he has like four, which is in first pretty yeah, well. And Dallas hasn't allowed a rushing touchdown yet this year. So got another one of those uh, <laughs> zero to hero matchups there. <laughs> Interesting. And yeah, just with that too, because we didn't mention it, uh, Lex, you had, you had in your notes that Darnold has scored 20 plus DK points in each of his first three games. Again, we talked a little bit about opponents and what that looks like, but still interesting that um, he's been able to do that. So, all right, that'll do it for Dallas, Carolina. All right, moving on to Cleveland at Minnesota. This game has the second highest total on the slate. Therefore, it's unlikely to go overlooked, but we wanted to discuss it here to see what we find if we dig in a little deeper than the field is probably going to let's jump in uh, Minnesota defense held up versus Seattle. As we've talked about on the pod here, uh, 17 points allowed. That's pretty good. Lex, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I liked that. We talked about how to kind of how they were, you know, performing better than people were probably seeing on service level. Um, and it kind of showed up versus Seattle, like we're, Metcalf still had a nice game, but overall Seattle's offense kind of disappointed relative to the way Vegas was expecting them to score. And we had talked about that, right? Like they were showing, showing signs of that, just getting hurt by those big plays and those big plays never really came uh, versus Seattle. So I think that they've only, they're only going to keep improving as the season goes, just kind of how Zimmer defenses work. They're not going to have a great game like that versus elite offenses every week, but um, they definitely are tougher than, you know, the, probably most people are expecting. Um, and Baker's certainly not one of those guys that's going to scramble around like Kyler Murray and chuck it to someone deep either. So I, I kind of like this spot again for at least a solid showing from the Minnesota defense. One of the things that you had mentioned too in your matchup notes is that Minnesota is getting to the quarterback. Well, uh, fourth most sacks and Baker is also getting sacked. He's got the fifth most Jess, I don't know if you've got anything further on that or anything you wanted to expand on with that specifically or just other thoughts you had. Um, I do have some charts up here. I'm looking at pressure. So Baker's not really getting pressured. He's got a great O-line. Uh, he's actually one of the few quarterbacks who has not been hit as, he thrown, as he's thrown. Um, as far as like pressure to sack rate and stuff like that, that's, that's not as good. But one of the notes that I saw you had was that he's got the was it the third highest yards per attempt and he's also got like the sixth highest yards per completion so baker is a low volume high efficiency guy and then you look at how to attack cleveland's defense um i think it's through the pass they're they're not going to let you run very well on them 
They've got the fifth lowest adjusted line yards and they've allowed the second least explosive run plays. And then if, if it's not cook and it's Madison again, well, I'm getting crossed up here. <laughs> All right. Back to, uh, <laughs> I'll jump on what we were saying at first. So going back to Baker, I think, yes. yeah, it's like he was saying, he's, he's a low volume, high efficiency. Um, and Minnesota, I think what Cleveland's going to try to do is control the game on the ground with their running backs like they've been doing. And I think Minnesota's defense actually sets up well for them to do that because they've been weaker versus the run um, than the past. Uh, I, I think the thing about Baker, like Jess is saying, is he's not getting pressured a lot. Cleveland's offensive line is really good, but he's still taking all those sacks just because he's he's a guy that holds on to the ball. You know, he thinks that he can escape the pocket when he's not really as athletic as he thinks he is, gets him into trouble. So I think those are the kinds of things that where if he's taking bad sacks, that is that's what's going to kill those Cleveland drives. But if he's able, if they're able to, you know, get four or five yards on every carry and put them in kind of short down and distance situations for those third downs. That's how Cleveland's going to drive down the field and score. And then it obviously will come down to, you know, red zone production, but I don't really, I don't like the Cleveland passing him a ton in this spot. I mean, Odell is interesting just because of how many targets he got last week in his return. And, you know, Minnesota's obviously had at least some trouble with those elite receivers, but I do think that this sets up better for Cleveland on the ground. And if they're not having success in the ground, it's probably just not going to be an overall good day from their offense. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, unless Jess, you've got any thoughts on uh, like other thoughts on the Cleveland off- offense or the running backs in general, I think it's interesting just to, uh, as we kind of like switch to the other side of the ball, the, the pace of this game. And it, it feels like it does kind of come down to, uh, will these teams be able to do what they want to will Cleveland be able to run the ball successfully and kind of hold on to it. Thoughts, thoughts on that, uh, Cleveland running backs and, or let's move on to the other side of the ball. Uh, Cleveland running backs. I, I like Chubb this week. I was pulling up our projected ownership and Derek Henry's the number one owned player on the slate. Mm-hmm. Nick Chubb projected at only 5%. I, I love Chubb in this matchup. I mean, Minnesota has not been great against uh, stopping the run this year. So, I mean, he he's in a great spot. Yeah. I mean, Mixon had a big day in week one when Cincinnati was able to kind of continue rushing throughout the game. And then uh, Edmonds only had eight attempts, but he was efficient, really efficient with them. And then Carson was running really well. They just, they fell behind pretty big in that game. And so they, they weren't able to run quite as much as they maybe wanted. But yeah, it's like he said, I think they're what sixth worst in defensive rush DVOA. Chubb is, you know, he's going to be the lead back getting the more, more attempts on the ground. Hunt obviously had the big day last week, especially with the kind of like big play touchdown he had on a few broken tackles, but Chubb's still the big dog in the backfield. And if they're going to be able to control the game, how they want to, then that's going to be a bigger uh, Chubb game than Hunt. Hunt's going to be obviously more involved if they fall behind, but that's just kind of how this Cleveland backfield has worked for the last two years now. Right. Cleveland has the highest net adjusted line yards matchup for the week. They've got the number two O line versus the number 30 D line. So that works in Chubb's favor. Kind of going back to the OBJ thing. No Brown has more than 3.7 targets per game. And then OBJ came out and had those nine last week. And I was looking at his route tree and there he's pressing the defense. Like he's running at him and then 
deciding on his route from there. So I kind of do like OBJ in this game. I don't know if I would stack him with Baker Mayfield, but if you're, if Chubb ends, ends up looking like he's going to be high owned, then possibly leverage with OBJ. But I, I think Chubb is one of the top players on the entire slate. Yeah. I like Chubb. I like OBJ. Like you're saying, I'm, I'm a, I would be more interested in Hooper if I felt like he was going to get the volume. The problem is just, they're using all three tight ends. And so it's just, you're just basically banking on a touchdown because there's just not enough volume to, you know, get enough yards. Minnesota's had some trouble with tight ends thus far, but I just think that that's probably the thing that'll stop me from, you know, taking a shot on, on a guy like Hooper, just because he could easily, you know, lose the touchdown to Brian or Joku. And then you're just completely drawing dead because he's not getting probably more than 20 to 40 yards. Yeah. I played Njoku last week thinking he would be the one to, to go off. And then Hooper caught the touchdown and Njoku did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. These teams that rotate tight ends are just so brutal because you're like, you're just picking and choosing. It feels like, uh, okay. So before we head over to the other side of the ball, I just want to kind of come back to the Chubb thing one more time. We don't talk about ownership that much on this pod, but I do think that's super interesting. Uh, with, you know, especially cause you get two guys like Derek Henry and Nick Chubb, who are more or less the, the same type of player, obviously the volume's slightly different for Chubb than it is for Henry, but, um, I don't, I don't know in, in a game like the, the jets and we'll, I guess we'll, we'll get to this cause that's our next game. But I think that's kind of interesting too. If that game st- is one-sided by any chance and they pull Henry at some point, I don't know if it gets that far out of hand, but, um, I don't know. Just feels a little bit interesting there too, but even just from a straight game theory play, yeah. Playing the guy who's in a similar spot, but who has drastically low ownership is always going to be a a plus EV thing in the long run. Let's jump over to the other side of the ball though. So we've got Cleveland defense first, the Minnesota offense. Madison looked great in relief. They, you know, pretty much didn't lighten up on the workload whatsoever. How are we feeling in this spot uh, and this matchup? Jess, why don't you start here? Start us off here. Yeah, this is where I was reading my notes. I had my notes crossed up here. I started reading. <laughs> you're you're ready for it. <laughs> yeah, apparently I, I was ready to jump in there. So uh, Cleveland's D is allowing the fifth least adjusted line yards, second least explosive run plays. They have not allowed a hundred yard rusher and only allowing four running back targets per game. So Madison to me doesn't set up well in this game. And I probably wouldn't use cook either. If he does start, uh, it's just not that desirable of a matchup, especially with the way cousins in the passing game is playing right now. It kind of seems like that's, their meal ticket. Like the O line is doing much better in protecting cousins than it is for, for opening lanes in the running game. But then Madison still did well last week. So that's only, you know, a little bit of it. Yeah. I don't like the spot for the run game for Minnesota at all. Um, especially since they added Clowney. like this Cleveland team is just really hard to run on right now. And I'd, I'd much rather attack them through the air. And they've got two guys very well equipped to do that. And Jefferson and Thielen and Conklin even showed out a bit last week. I mean, Osborne's emergence. I, I, it's always hard to bank on Minnesota because you, you're just hoping that the game strip goes in a way where they, they have the enough passing volume to support, you know, one or two of these guys. But I, I think I am completely on what Jess just said. I, I just, this is just not a great place to attack on the ground and Minnesota will probably still try to do it 
you know, for at least a good chunk of the game. But I think this is just not where they're going to have a lot of success. And, and if you are betting on that, you're just betting on either big plays or touchdowns because the efficiency is not going to be there. Yeah. At least most likely this, uh, you know, I feel like there's not a ton, a ton to talk about on the Minnesota side of the ball because we've talked about them for basically every week of this podcast so far. Uh, but you had mentioned in your matchup notes, and we know these things, but to just like hammer at home, Jefferson is just so consistent in terms of targets and yards, feeling with his touchdowns. One of these guys is highly likely to produce if this does turn into a relatively high scoring affair. So I guess the the thing that, you know, zooms out a little bit more to game theory and this side of the ball and just DFS play, is it viable to play something like Cousins, Chubb, and Jefferson? Or are we think are we not thinking that it gets that far out of hand? Because we've talked about how Cousins is pretty much only viable in a shootout. But if we don't like the run defense situation here, then or the matchup there. I think Minnesota's most likely a path to points is through the passing game. And especially if Chubb is having a good game controlling the clock and kind of starts, if there's like a two score lead going on with Cleveland, then that is going to force Minnesota to to throw the ball and kind of abandon the run a little bit, which they, if they're smart, they're going to do it kind of early in the game when they realize it's not working. Um, and yeah, they're going to have to rely on these guys. You've got Jefferson. He's got the target lead in each of the last two weeks, but then you've got Thielen who's catching all the touchdowns. So I don't know, kind of a, a little stack with cousins and one of the, the receivers and then bring it back with Chubb. Uh, that's one of the better plays for the slate. I think. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I think that's probably my favorite angle to take. If I am attacking this game would be through Chubb and pairing him with one of the two Minnesota guys. I think that the ways this game can fail is both teams obviously want to run, you know, they want to control the game on the ground. So if there's just kind of less volume overall, if Baker's taking bad sacks, killing drives, if cousins is uh, protection doesn't hold up against like miles Garrett and those guys, cause that's certainly possible. And that kills some Minnesota drives. I think that's a way that this game can fail. Um, I mean, Cleveland obviously has a pretty wide distribution through their passing game. Um, unless Odell keeps monopolizing targets like he did last week. So I think that, I mean, it can always fail in terms of there's still a decent amount of points, but kind of no one puts up that have to have it score. That's always, you know, potential in this kind of game. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to add other than I, I really like the, you know, Chubb and the two Minnesota wide receivers and really not a whole lot else. And then I think it's a pretty easy to see how this game can fail too, based on kind of what I was just laying out there. And Greg Newsom being out will help Minnesota in the passing game too. I mean, you're losing their first round pick. That was their best corner. And then as far as pressure goes, uh, Cousins is getting the ball out quick. He's getting it out, like looking at pro football references stats, they've got 2.2 seconds, which was like, I think fourth. But then if you look at uh, pro football focus, they've got him as getting the ball out the fastest. So he's, he, and he's only got a six, a dot. So he's not throwing it deep. He's getting rid of the ball real quick. Yeah. And which is like the exact opposite of what they just dealt with in fields who was just holding onto the ball forever. So I, I like that spot for cousins for sure. And then Jefferson's probably the most likely to benefit from the kind of short and then expect a lot of yak after. Yeah. All right. I think that'll do it for Cleveland at Minnesota third and final game here for us today. We've got Tennessee at New York jets. So 
the Jets and rookie Zach Wilson have looked awful so far, but they finally have a little bit of breathing room after these three super tough defenses they've played. Will the plus matchup against a poor Titans defense be enough to produce DFS goodness on the Jets side of the ball? If so, what does that mean for this game environment as a whole and how we are targeting pieces from it? So let's start with let's let's start with a little bit more of the knowns in terms of the well, I guess maybe this week, maybe not so many knowns, uh, but the Tennessee offense versus the Jets defense. Jess, I'm gonna throw it to you first here. Well, the the Tennessee offense is going to revolve around Derrick Henry as much as possible. They've got AJ Brown and Julio Jones dealing with hamstring injuries. Uh, Jets are a bit better of a pass defense than they are in run defense. So it's just kind of the the easiest easiest path is to try and ride Henry through the game. Um, Jets are allowing the seventh most rushing fantasy points against. Uh, ninth highest explosive run rate and the fourth highest explosive pass rate. And with Henry getting some targets to go with his, his usual workload of carries, he's, I mean, he's averaging 4.3 targets per game last year was his career high at 1.9. So that offense can pretty much run right through Henry as long as they want it to. Yeah, this is a tough, tough one to peg just because I think, losing the receivers in a way can hurt Henry just because they'll be able to stack the box a little bit more. There's Tennessee doesn't really have many other threats outside of those two guys, but at the same time, you know, Henry breaks one crazy play and he's going nuts or he might get 30 attempts and the efficiency doesn't really matter just because he has so much volume. So the jets have not really been the easiest team to run on over the last couple of years, but I mean, CMC had a big game just because he had so much volume and the same thing can happened for Henry, especially if he keeps getting these targets, which is obviously really new for him this year. Uh, it's hard to really know with the passing game and their injuries. Like we, we can't obviously predict what's going to happen there, but ha- if they are healthy, I, I like the idea of one of them, <clears throat> excuse me, having a big day through the air, just because as we'll get into with the jets, I do think the jets will be able to at least, at least keep pace in the early parts of the game. It'll, you know, who knows what will happen as the game goes on, but I think they'll be able to push Tennessee to at least pass a little bit more than they would in like a 30 to zero blowout. So I, I like that idea. If, if one of them does play, especially if only one plays and the other doesn't, I mean, that obviously introduces even more volume for one of them. So I, I like the pieces on Tennessee side, just because I like the jets ability in this game to, you know, keep pace a little bit. Um, yeah. I don't really have much else to add on that until we, you know, talk about the game as a whole more. Just, well, just to piggyback on the Derrick Henry thing. And yeah, if the one of those or both of the receivers are down and the Jets defense is allowed to focus entirely on Henry, uh, he's projected to be the highest rostered player of the main slate. So if that's the case, then we need to be looking for ways he can fail and we can get an advantage over people spending 8,800 of their, their roster salary on him. Um, CMC had a good game, but he did a lot of that through the passing. He got 98 rushing yards and uh, Jets haven't allowed 98 yards rushing to any team past that. Uh, they did allow two rushing touchdowns to both the New England and Denver running backs. So you're kind of looking at Henry does need to hit the 100 yards, does need to get the 200 or the two touchdowns in order to pay off that salary. And even still, he's probably just paying it off. He's not breaking the slate. 
I think is a really interesting way to, yeah, like asking ourselves that question, if, how can Henry fail? And if so, what, you know, what can we do in that case? But I know that the the game as a whole is important for, to drive discussion here, kind of like you were saying, Lex. So why don't we flip over and look at the offense of the Jets versus the defense? They have only scored 20 points in the first three weeks, which I'm just thinking of it now. I'm not sure that's got to be some type of record in like today's NFL. (laughs) That's just like so ridiculously low. Uh, But as we kind of mentioned before, this has come against the very strong defenses of Carolina, New England and Denver. So how do we feel about them in this spot? Lex, what are you excited about? I'm excited because Wilson, even though he's shown a lot of, you know, inconsistencies, he has shown that he wants to attack downfield. Um, which is good now that he's finally playing a defense that won't be able to pressure him as much and has a weaker back end. So I like, you know, the Jets offensive capability in this game. I think that he's still going to have some struggles. I think, I mean, there's clearly a path to the Jets failing in this game. It's they've done it for three straight weeks, pretty much. But I, I, I really like the potential of Tennessee, you know, able to open this game up a bit more for the Tennessee side. Um, Wilson's taking a lot of sacks, especially since he lost his left tackle. He's throwing a lot of picks, but Tennessee just hasn't really been a team that's taking the ball away or getting a lot of pressure. So I like this spot for Wilson and Corey Davis, especially. I don't know. I mean, I think Eli Moore missing can be viewed as a positive and a negative for Davis in one sense. Maybe he gets a little bit more defensive attention, but in the other sense, the, you know, the volume that he gets because of more missing might just kind of outweigh that. And Tennessee's not really a capable defensive secondary on top of it anyway. So I like, I like Davis a lot this week. Um, yeah, I don't have too much. The run game is still a little bit unpredictable, just kind of with the way they're splitting it between the different backs. Tennessee hasn't been, they haven't been great. They haven't been bad versus um, running back. So it's kind of just a weird spot there, but overall I like this game to have probably more points than Vegas is expecting. It's a pretty low total game. Um, but I, I think they're they're clear paths to it failing, but also clear paths to it being a much higher scoring game than people are expecting. Yeah, I think there's some leverage in that. I mean, there's what four or five games, five games with an implied total of 45 or fewer points. I think most people are just going to cross this game off, or if they do come to it, it's just going to be a Henry with a Davis bring back. Um, I mean, it, there are ways to leverage it if you are going to use this game. And that would be to use Tannehill just in case the jets somehow managed to get out to an early lead. And Henry is getting stacked up um, on the Jets side, like kind of looking at the running back thing, Michael Carter, is he getting closer to running back status? I mean, he's getting a little more snaps per game. Now he's out opportunity uh, Ty, Ty Johnson. He got nine carries, three targets to Johnson's three carries, five targets last week, but Obviously, you kind of want the targets more, but if the Jets are playing with a lead, then maybe Carter gets a few more carries. Uh, Tennessee allows the fourth softest run DVOA on defense, uh, ninth most adjusted line yards and 14.7 rushing fantasy points against and uh, one and a third touchdowns per game. So there's there's a path to the running game to do well. I don't know if it's going to produce DFS goodness. Like, I don't know if we, we really want to roster either of these guys. But I think the running game is what's going to drive the Jets if this game is going to be competitive. I, I don't know if it's going to be put as much on 
Zach Wilson's back as it's going to be them trying to, to do it through the run um, and getting Crowder back possibly this week that that could help them out too. Cause that gives them Elijah Moore's replacement in the slot. And he's, he's a wily vet. I mean, he can be reliable so that that could help Corey Davis out as well. Having an extra person to, for the defense to account for. Yeah. yeah I is, think like justice, go ahead, Ben, sorry. Uh, I was just going to uh, say that this is one of those spots where it's, it's like frustrating that the backfield situation is what it is because I would kind of love to play in what feels like a sneaky spot because they just haven't, you know, the game script has been basically the worst it could possibly be for a running back situation. But as you're, you know, talking about there, there's just really nothing to to grab onto there. And then I think that's my one concern with this game is Jess, I kind of agree with you that, that if they, if this is a close competitive game that they will lean on their run game a little bit and that doesn't help us at all. And if anything, it might hurt us because some of the receivers do get slightly lesser volume. I don't know that it actually takes away their, their ceiling, but uh, one of the things that was concerning me just a bit, uh, Lex, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say kind of like what Jess was saying. I don't know if the running backs are usable for DFS yet, just with how much usage they're splitting at this point in time. But I do think that if they are able to run well, like kind of like you were just saying, I think that, I mean, maybe it takes away some like usage from Davis and like if they were trailing and they have to throw the whole game, but I think it'll probably just help the offense be more efficient overall, which will help them have more opportunities to score. And I think that's, what's more important for someone like Davis. Um, if they're having, you know, more chances to get in the end zone, then that's probably better for the offense as a whole anyway. So I actually like that the fact that the running game is kind of in that you know, positive spot, because if they're able to have a more balanced game, it's probably just better for this environment as a whole. Yeah, I agree. Love that. Yep. You can, uh, you can get 15 targets in between the twenties or the thirties and, you know, touchdowns are what changed the change the DFS score. So, all right, guys, anything else from this game, I guess. Okay. Well, I'll throw this out there. If you guys don't have any other specific thoughts, because Jess, you had kind of mentioned, uh, let's just talk a little bit end it with uh DFS theory here with, like you said, probably Henry Corey Davis going to be the most likely stack here uh, based on what we talked about. Do you guys have things that you like to, to leverage that or play something different? Yeah, I would, I would consider uh Tannehill and then especially if Julio and Brown are gimpy or out uh, going with Tannehill and either the, Chester Rogers or the NWI guy, Nick West. <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce the second of his second names, but uh, you, Tannehill could be running. That's another thing to leverage against Derrick Henry is what if Tannehill runs into, or what if Tannehill runs in one and Henry only gets one. So it, if you are using pieces from this, I think Tannehill gives you good leverage. And I think Michael Carter still, we have the uncertainty with the Jets backfield. They have been in such poor game scripts. I mean, his, he had 12 opportunities to Johnson's eight and nine of them were carries. So if they are able to get the run game going, maybe this is the game where Michael Carter stays on the field a little bit more. He's carrying the ball and he gets one across. I don't know that he's going to give us a score that, that drives us to the top of the leaderboard, 
but he, he would be an interesting leverage piece. And I, he's one, I haven't looked at the price yet. So if, if he's down there in like the 4k area, then I think it's somebody we're going to want to consider. I'm actually, I like that you mentioned that about Tannehill because what's interesting to me is playing Tannehill naked, not trying to figure out anything from that receiving core, just run Tannehill naked. Like you said, you're, you're in this roster, then you are banking on him scoring rushing touchdowns, stealing Henry's. Um, but then, you know, cause then even if you do want to run it back with Corey Davis, you're already differentiated. So you're, you're kind of fine there. If you wanted to get, go really off the board, you know, run it back with Crowder or something, if he's going to play, because as you said, Jess, he'll likely be a, a safety valve type guy for Zach Wilson. Uh, Lex thoughts on stacks and correlations. I kind of like everything you guys were saying about uh, Tannehill and stuff like that, like a Tannehill and Davis or something kind of off the board like that. My hesitation with Crowder would be, I mean, one, he's obviously coming back from injury, but two, I think JM talked about this where he was like immediately after watching the Jets first game, he's like, he regretted all of his Jameson Crowder shares just because Wilson as of right now has shown little interest in taking the safety valve. Even if they're open, he just is waiting, waiting to hit that big play, which can lead to big fantasy days, but can also just crater the offense. And I, that would worry me about playing Crowder. He's going to get the kind of volume that he would have got from Sam Darnold who's willing to take that kind of check down you know, safety valve. So that would probably push me off even considering that, but I really like everything you guys are saying about, you know, Tannehill naked, especially because of his rushing upside and with, you know, uh, finding at least some different way to leverage off of Derrick Henry having a big day. Um, so yeah, I, I like what you guys are saying. I don't have too much else to add. Just it's kind of a weird game has a lot of different ways it can go, you know, fantasy goodness wise, or just fantasy awfulness wise. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the rest of my thoughts on that. <laughs> All right, guys, I think we are good for today. That'll wrap up the week four OWS first peak pod. Uh, feel free to hit me up in discord more than happy to chat with you guys. And uh, yeah, otherwise good luck this weekend. And we hope that we will be seeing you at the top of the leaderboards for Lex for Jess. I'm Ben and we'll see you guys on Sunday.